And welcome once again to the Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oop. Yeah, your dice are screaming. Why are they screaming? Because it's Friday, and hopefully you got some good gaming lined up. Uh, yeah, it's time for the dice to put in an overtime shift. It's the last big weekend before the holidays hit. Yep, so hopefully you get some time to do some gaming. Also open up some presents with some family and friends. Get some good gaming loot and all that. We'll be looking forward to hearing about our gaming loot that we got, and uh, of course, hopefully you will too. But, uh, well, before we stray into tonight's topic, we've been talking about this Dragon Egg Dice Bag Giveaway. Yes, it's only appropriate to hit this up first, right out of the gate. Yep, and uh, we rolled the cube of random determination. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, classic polyhedron at work. Yep, and uh, we came up with a winner. So Indeed. we'll get to that in just a moment. We have a victor. But, uh... If you're interested in any of these Dragon Egg dice bags, you can look up uh, Crafty Dragon Say, that's Crafty Dragon, all one word, and Say, also attach that, S-A-E, on Instagram or Twitter, and look over my wife's fine wares, because she hand crocheted this for you. So, who is our lucky winner? Joey Richter. Yeah, Joey Richter, yes, Congratulations, you are now the proud bearer of our first Dice Bag giveaway here at the Dice Here Screaming. You'll be getting a message here shortly, and we'll get all the information and bonafides and confidentials and send that on its way. So hopefully you get that before Christmas. Yes, the, the Terminator of the Dice Men will seek you out in your lair. Uh, you know, he will appear in your time. Uh, and <laughs> promptly look up your name in a phone book and hunt you down wherever you are. It has no emotions. It has no feelings. It can't uh, be stopped. It can't be reasoned with. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but you will be dice bag dragon egged. Yep. You will have your own dragon egg dice bag. Holds about 70 dice. But none of those little tiny mini dice. I'll kind of slip through the... Uh, Crocheting. Yes, we do not advocate this for itsy bitsy tiny uh, six sider like the the little fireball dice people use because you know sometimes when you're playing epic level it does take a lot of dice to figure out the damage for a yep. spell. But, Nuclear uh, winner fireball. What was the mature <laughs> component for that? Potash. <laughs> Jimmy Cricket. <laughs> My cobalt half life fireball. Yep. Oh. <laughs> No, but uh, standard size dice, absolutely a perfect fit. Yep, so you be sporting out with pride, and of course, let everybody know that you got it from the Dice of Screamings. Yeah, congratulations, Joey. Uh, we will be seeking you out on the, the Book of Faces very shortly. Yep, and so, without further ado, we uh, have gotten some feedback. Oh! Yeah, from our tens. Of followers. Tens, I tell you. Vast throng. Yes. Our I love using the term vast throng. That just, that's, that's win. I thought you were going to say vast thong for a second, but, uh... <laughs> no, no. No. No, that goes with the bard thing, right? <laughs> that's under the kimono. Oh. Oh, my. <laughs> I thought it was uh, going to lead into a bard joke, but, uh, no, all right. No, uh, I... I'm, honestly, I'm not going to give away the goods just yet, but uh, I'm so happy about this topic that I'm not even going to harp on bards today. I'm putting that aside. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. This one is so good, 
that I actually, I'm going to take a rest on the Bardic thing. I'm still on the bandwagon. We're going to hear about that another time. You know, count on it next time. I'll be uh -huh. on you again, like usual, about this Bards thing. But not today. Today. You, you'll be what? I didn't say nothing. No. All right. Well, in my case, this is a topic that I just can't say no to. So, no, right. no contest. All right. And uh, last uh, episode, we talked a lot about races. Yeah. That's, yeah. That was kind of the, a... The classic zone. Yeah. We, uh, you know, straight into some political territory. But, uh, again, that disclaimer still was stood. It wasn't about real world races and no, racism. It no. was about uh, but, uh, fantasy races and how you dealt with them. So uh, kudos to everybody who let me know about that they enjoyed it, and uh, we tried to handle that in the best uh, taste possible. But tonight is a lot safer topic. Not constrain anything that might ruffle the jimmies. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, people can be pretty tough about their favorites on this one, okay? The, sure. There can sure. be some, you know, there's some strong firmly held opinions regarding this, but uh, I'm going into this with pure love, because I'm actually pretty jazzed. Yep, um, some of you have been asking about our personal campaigns and things like that, and, and uh, coming the new year, we will start talking more about that, um, but right now, we're going to talk about things where we cut our teeth and earned our stripes. That oh. is the old modules of the days of your and we're going to go through uh, a list here, and uh, we're going to talk about them and how we dealt with them, certain things that we came away with, lessons and to be learned, and also, you know, some of the context that we talked about. Inspiration taken from, uh, lessons learned from, uh, experiences had. So we're talking personal favorite classic modules. Yep, and, uh, you know, we'll go all the way into the new... Uh, age as well with this, so hold on to your hats, kids. Yeah, this, this is, is gonna be a wild ride. Yeah, this is not just D and D centric either. This is you know all systems wherever you know if we have a favorite module, we're gonna try and strike those notes right here. Now we're gonna start at the beginning because that's where everything starts, right? The Go beginning. for the opener. Yeah, the opener is for us. Uh, it's been called the workbook of Dungeons and Dragons. It was literally a do-it-yourself module. It was not sketched out at all. It was B1, In Search of the Unknown, and boy, they weren't kidding. Ah, favorite for you. I had a copy of that a very yeah, long time ago. Um, the Caves of Quas Quentin. You know, I, it came with a lot of backstory and material. Basically, two adventurers who built a stronghold in the fastness of a mountain dungeon had been missing for years. And now these caves lay open. And so, you know, um, you were presented as the DM with uh, constructing your very, and filling out those rooms and getting the treasure and uh, traps and deciding what to go uh, and how to do your own dungeon. It was your own personalization. And so it was kind of, yeah, a workbook. That's true. Yeah, but it, it was unique in that that was never done with any others that I know of. No, and there, it there was, was... It was blanks. There are little blank spaces that you could fill in with pen or pencil, uh, preferably pencil if you're yeah. using your wits. But uh, you can, mm -hmm. you know, randomly generate monsters for little mini charts. You're like, here's six things that are likely to be there. Yeah, here's six goblins hanging on the room. Why are there six goblins in the room? Well, that's eh. up for you to figure it out. 
But, uh, yeah, you know, um, the Caves of Quasquan got you started. And uh, that was B1, In Search of the Unknown. So, you know, not really uh, a whole epic adventure in that, but there was a lot of meat on the bone in that uh, from the back story and all that that you could build upon to make it your own, in your own way, in your own campaign. It was a good starter. But right after that, yeah. well, here's where we go. Here's the Mac Daddy everybody knows. <sighs> yeah, there, there's not going to be any surprises to anybody on this one. We're both big fans of B2. Keep but, on the Borderlands! Yeah. Or Creep on the Borderlands, as yes. we call it. And the Creep on the Borderlands with that rotten old hermit. Uh, yep, lurking on the outside. And, you know, and that... Just to touch on this real quick, too, because uh, everybody's played it, and it's obviously a favorite. It's basically a zoo dungeon. Sure, there's a bunch of monsters hanging out in some caves up to no good, potentially led by an evil cleric, you know, that's hinted at. It's kind of organizing everything to take over the keep. And nobody was really named. It was just the Castleton, the Curate, and uh, several other people. Yeah, if you wanted to fill in the blanks, you could, but uh, it kept it pretty generic, so you could plop this just about anywhere on the edge of any country, and just bang, you got a campaign. Yep, and as we <coughs> mentioned about the creep on the borderline, it had a minor wilderness area to explore, a lizard man lair, crazy old hermit that uh, <laughs> killed people all the time. Yeah, so. all right, spoiler alert for, for those who have not played that. Oh, yeah, you? well, at this point, spoiler alert, you know, yeah, nothing, which, it's you, been... You yeah, it, it ought to be well known by all, but those who have not played the Keep on the Borderlands, uh, that hermit has been responsible for more new player character deaths than, you know, the bubonic plague. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, his mafia name should have been Herpes. He's at his most dangerous when you don't know where he, that he's there. You yeah. Know, just, ah! Oh, my back! <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, keep on the borderlines is a big one, and that you know uh, when you once you've cleared out the keep on the borderlines, of course, with the requisite mention of the Minotaur. Oh yes, uh, freaking Minotaur, man. Oh, but yeah, you could easily get players up to like fifth, sixth level, almost. I mean, you know, yeah, they were just right there touching. Definitely it. fourth. Uh, by the time you cleaned the whole region, and up. you had a, it was recommended that you had a scroll case with a map leading to an uncharted island in the middle of a great body of water. <laughs> Handily located nearby, which was called Isle of Dread. X1, if yeah. I recall correctly. Correct. Uh, this is another one of the absolute classics of early D&D modules. It, it, the Isle of Dread is effectively a campaign setting that will take your character's weeks to complete, if not months. Uh, oh, I definitely said there was a couple good months of play I mean, out if, of that. If you really wanted regularly. to put the hustle on, you know, you could slam through this thing, uh, you know, in a few sessions. But, you know, if you've got players who are willing to take some time out and rattle around and explore, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, options for seeking out mining opportunities for ore and uh, internecine warfare between, you know, differing uh, types of creatures. Uh, and, of course, hidden lairs and dungeons yep. rooted all over the place on this With a uh, new unique monster that controls mines. No spoilers on those guys, but... Uh, yeah, you know what we're talking about if you've been through it or you possess the module. It is uh, literally a sandbox hex crawl. It is... You know, there is no one way to go through this. There's no linear path. Yeah, it, it's, you know, you could 
land at different points on the island, uh, find yourselves challenged by or greeted by uh, local denizens, uh, and the actions the players take could alter the entire outcome. They could find themselves being local heroes or uh, being horrific oppressors uh, or, you know, just everything goes to heck and there's no safe bolt hole for them at all. Uh, it could go either way. So choices were really heavy on the Isle of Dread because there's no initial safe bolt hole. Right. There's nowhere, there's no friendly town right off the bat. you got to show up and earn it. Yep, you have to gain trust to the islanders and all that. But uh, these were ones where we cut our teeth. Now, uh, we're not really delving into the nitty-gritty on these too much because we're just giving an overview. But now, here's where we're going to start cutting in. Um, we're going to start talking about uh, the AD&D First Edition era. And uh, in this one, we're just going to pick uh, two modules apiece and cover them briefly. Um, I got two, and I know that Mike can come up with two. So, Mike... What is your favorite first edition module that you really made your own? I I gotta go with A four, uh, the uh, Dungeon of the Slave Lords. Uh, what was the name of that? The uh, yeah, I think A three was the area. Yeah, I think that was the A- Isle of the uh, the Secret of the Slave Lords. Or something well, like uh, no, that's the Secret of the Slaver Stockade, A2. Yep. Yep, A2. Uh, A3 is the Area of the Slave Lords, and A4 is the dungeon scenario where at the end of A3, the players are captured. They are deposited in a cave, uh, which is just like a dumping ground because, you know, uh, they don't bother with uh, trials and executions. You know, everything is ruled by a little fiat council of evil slave lords. And when they want to dispose of somebody, they basically drop them into a cave in the volcano and nobody ever makes it out. Or yeah, nobody ever has. Ostensibly by the cleric of the group who worshipped a strange being called the Earth Dragon. Yes, which as it turns out is more like a you know, spirit of the volcano in which yeah. this cave resides. Uh, so this volcanic island, worst of all, is on the schedule to erupt. So the player characters have a timer on them. Uh, Now, this is a little difficult to manage for some DMs, but uh, it's been done in tournament play, and they make recommendations in the module about how to administer this. But the players are essentially unequipped, down to nothing but their loincloths at the bottom of the pit. Uh, They get left a few scrolls, a couple of potions, you know, a sharp knife, and... Uh, just whatever tidbits could be thrown to them in a nice package uh, by somebody who is a mysterious ally that wants them to get out of this alive and avenge themselves against the slave lords. Uh, So they have an ally somewhere. Now, with this bare minimum equipment, they have to acquire whatever resources they can down in these pits and caverns and caves and escape alive and intact and watching players without all of their fancy gear start getting innovative is amazing fun it's not just being a torturous dm okay this to me it's one of the heights of gaming to see people really 
work hard. Like, all right, if I cut some of these binds, I can make some impromptu rope. You know, we'll wind it together, like three or four binds into one strong rope. So, all right, we finally got like, you know, 15 feet of spare rope. Uh, or, Gee, I never knew my underwater basket weaving class would come in handy. Yeah, I'm saying, right? You know, those, those random skills uh, come in handy. And all of a sudden, uh, mages and clerics are pretty helpless because, you know, they're exhausted uh, and not in ideal conditions. And memorizing spells is really tough under those circumstances. And no, no holy spell symbol. Books. They yeah. had to make a wooden holy symbol. Yeah, no, you know, just a, a, a scroll for the cleric and a scroll for the mage are provided, or it's recommended that the DM customize it and provide something similar uh, for whatever player characters are going through it. But uh, fighters and rogues are pretty well set, except that they're not packing their usual gear. They've yeah. got to get in close and dirty, uh, you know, if you thought it was all about missile weapons for a while. Not so much anymore. Now you got to get in and toe-to-toe it uh, and keep the bad critters down below off of the rest of your players. Uh, it's this wonderful, challenging monster er, module, and that's why that is my number one favorite. All right. so. Yeah, and, you know, as Mike touched on there, I'm just going to add a little bit of my own uh, thoughts on it. It's one of my favorites to run. Bring a monk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unarmed yeah. and mostly harmless suddenly becomes most dangerous member of the party. Doesn't need armor, doesn't need weapons. Yeah, and all his abilities are innate. So, yeah, so uh, Monk, that was a good one. That was one where, where a monk was like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't know, I got feigned death, you know, can't read my mind, okay. But boy, can he punch. Yeah, that, if you're doing two-handed sword damage in a uh, module where everybody's been deprived of weapons, uh, the fighter's like just swinging a improvised club. All your weapons are doing die four, or if you're very fortunate, die six. All of a sudden, that monk is Superman. Yep, and, you know, it is a tournament module, and some people say that the series is kind of railroady, but oh, well, you know. Well, yeah. So much for that. I mean, you're put in a situation, you have to get out of a deal. Um, those are the types where players often rise to the challenge. And even though it was a so-called tournament module, it also was a module where it tested the player's playing ability, not so much their character sheets. So, yeah, that's a great one. Um, as far as mine, my, my favorite, my first one will be Temple of Elemental Evil, Village of Hamlet. Um, because it is a mega dungeon that's uh, set up, at least the Temple of Elemental Evil super module. But uh, Village of Hamlet had the moat house and uh, the slow kind of progression that goes from the upper stories, which are mostly deserted, along with some of the illustrations, provides me with some of my most evocative moments. Accordingly, also down below, the near-total-party-kill combination of a room full of nine uh, gnolls, six bugbears, and uh, a group of well-trained men-at-arms led by a fifth-level cleric, Larith the Beautiful. Uh, cleric of Loth, strangely enough, in a Temple of Elemental Evil, but, you know, that's one of those things you have to figure out as you delve into the lore. But it was set really deeply into the uh, world of Greyhawk, the Battle of Embry Meadows had been fought, and, you know, Temple of Elemental, Elemental Evil cast down in the midst of a good-aligned nation uh, was the backdrop for this. So, you know, he came into this sleepy, somewhat uh, sedate village and found that it was full of agents for both uh, good and evil. So you have a lot of things in there that uh, are classic, like Elmo, 
<laughs> the ranger, who's not the smartest guy, but you know, my brother Otis gave me this dagger, you know, and you had to buy him a suit of chainmail and a battle axe, which he then ditched in favor of a magical suit of chainmail and uh, battle axe, so you couldn't, you know, just uh, murder hobo him. Now I have a magical battle axe and a suit of chainmail. <laughs> yeah, good luck getting it out of Otis, but... Uh, he was no slouch in a fight. Yeah, uh, Otis, um, the ranger... Was well, kind of your uh, bolt hole for those heavily challenging encounters deep in the moat house. Now, uh, Temple of Evil is a really big subject to tackle, but let's just say that uh, the ending is truly epic and uh, really highlighted for me all that D and uh, could encompass: you know, destruction and assembly of an evil artifact, going on to small demi planes of elemental evil, uh, tuning this artifact and gathering the items to construct it, and then once constructed. You know, a god, a demon god of Greyhawk, Yes, uh, the evil, shows up and then is countered by St. Cuthbert. And so this dramatic showdown happens as you're fighting in the temple and preparing to destroy the uh, eventual artifact after you've struggled so hard to assemble it. Ah, well, and I, I did like uh, T1, you know, the yeah. village of Hamlet. Uh, I liked it because as you adventured further into the Temple of Elemental Evil, the village of Hamlet was this nice, well-fleshed-out place where the players could keep coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, they had a, a nice, safe bolt hole to take refuge, uh, to heal up, to trade in goods within reason, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to purchase goods and services. So yeah, and you had a lot of support. You had good agents who were looking out for you and helping you level up mages, and clerics definitely had a lot of allies in that. Yeah, Rufus, uh, the mage, or no, it's Rufus. Bernie and uh, Rufus, yes. Burn and Rufus. I always uh, called him Bernie because he had an E at the end. But. Oh. oh. But, you know, that's me. Oh, well. Bernie, you know, because he's a wizard. You know, he burns things. I'm, well, I'm, all right, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, Burn and Rufus. Uh -huh. And also the openly gay couple in the world of Greyhawk. <laughs> <laughs> Lived alone yeah. in a tower, no women around. Yeah, at just uh, Burn and Rufus. Uh, and look, I mean, it's their lifestyle, they they're, yeah, they're, they're not shaming them, and just that was uh, that was a fun little uh, open secret that uh, some people would get rankled about. But I always love to that that fact that back then, Burn sometimes gets upset when Rufus leaves crumbs all over the pillows. Yep, so, yep. You know, you know, they argue over the uh, arrangement of furniture, and uh, yeah, you know. But other than that, they're pretty chummy, normal couple stuff. Yeah, uh, but they also provided some high level backup. Oh yeah, uh, for worst case scenarios. If the, the whole campaign is going to pot, uh, you could always use them like an ex-deus machina. And they, they left that there. It was a handy tool for the DM that was not recommended unless things went completely to hell. Well, we had a lot of fun playing that through the years and a lot of good memories. So that's my number one. So now we're going to switch gears back to Mike. So what would you say your number two favorite module? Oh, so hard. We were just going to do two each. Uh, but yeah, we do have a time limit here. Um... I would have said Castle Amber, which is a Ooh. classic from the you know early period. Well, let's go with that because a lot of people are really interested in your insights on that. I, I look. I'm, I'm going to make a side note okay. that probably the the contestant other the other contestant for that number two slot would have been White Plume Mountain, mm. uh, which I consider to this day to be one of the best tricks and traps. Uh, sneaky, backhanded uh, dungeons out there. But, I gotta give it to Castle Amber 
in the old basic and expert sets. Uh, yeah, and it translates well to D&D. Don't let it yes. tell you differently. Yeah, despite the fact that it was designed for expert level play, it is 100% adaptable to campaign play in any other version of D&D. Uh, Castle Amber was a, in perfect analogy here, was a kind of place trapped in time mm-hmm. uh, with a noble family of people who were individually fairly powerful adventurers themselves, uh, kind of stuck in a dreamlike state where they didn't quite realize that, you know, centuries upon century had passed by without them knowing. Uh, Kind of like they were trapped in amber. Uh, There were a lot of unique monsters in Castle Amber, things that you could not find in the regular books. Yeah, that... Well, and if you like having your character's brain eaten, uh, that could be a pretty dangerous encounter. Yeah, uh, what's up with eating brains in the end? Yeah, I know. It just way before the zombie craze was all the rage, uh, they were right there on the dawn of the dead cusp going, brains, brains. Uh, but in Castle Amber, you found yourself in different sections of the castle with different challenges that didn't necessarily always have to end with combat. It was theoretically possible to forge little alliances, uh, make allies out of some of the residents of Castle Amber, or, you know, find a a place that was a safe harbor where you could receive some assistance or trade a little, uh, just enough to help you get by in this isolated place and the ultimate goal, of course, was to break the enchantment and mm-hmm. free Castle Amber and yourselves, therefore, uh, from its clutches, uh, along with returning all surviving denizens back to the ordinary world. So, yeah, I ran across that module when I was somewhere around 13 years old, and it just made a mark that has never gone away. And despite the fact that there are other modules I love... Uh, that one just really looms large. In yeah, my the mind. Undead Colossus on the cover there. I oh. mean, that just said it right there, didn't it? Yeah, giant undead bone golem type thing. You know, just... Whoa. Yeah, welcome to uh, realizing that your like 6th and 7th level characters are actually going to have to fight fight. This was, this was not a cakewalk. This was not one of the intro 1st to 3rd level modules. This was an expert set. You better bring some guys with muscle. Uh, yeah. You know, your spell slinger better have her A game ready. Uh, you know, somebody in the party had better be ready to yeah, and, and throw it down. I run it in uh, AD&D as well as uh, um, and for another person. I ran it for uh, in um, Fantasy Hero for Champions. Guy, oh. Uh, Ran that. Uh, that was pretty good. So it translates well. Now, what's your second fave? Well, my second fave is going back to basic, and um, it's the Lost City. E four. Oh my gosh! Wait a minute. Is that the one with the? Uh, oh, what uh, the one T? No, 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 no. That's the one where you find a pyramid in the desert. And you're off wandering around low level adventures, and you start finding this. The ziggurat structure half uncovered in a sandstorm, and you seek shelter, and there the dungeon begins. And uh, there's these people called the Cimmerians, and they are pale and often involved in 
pollen and psychotropic mushroom induced dreams where they dress as creatures and you encounter them. And there's good, or ones who are trying to restore their culture, but they are led by, the uh, ones who are kept in a stupor-like daze are led by the priesthood of Zardon. This, Jeez, sounds scarier than a furry rave. Well, sure. <laughs> and, you know, uh, with all that entails, without the Molly, of course, and, you know, music, Lords of Acid probably comes yeah, to Well, mind. all right, not, not so much boost to the music. But it was almost like too much for just basic. It was supposed to be like for first through third levelers, but, you know, it had a multi-tiered dungeon where at the base was the Zargon, this near demigod of a tentacled horror with a singular eye and a ma massive maw, like a roper on steroids. And Whoa. it was down there, and, you know, just you had to fight it and uh, See, I'm, to break the curse. I'm admitting to a gap in my, like, early edition knowledge here. This one, this is one that I haven't been through that... Uh... I really liked it because it l lets you have a large and diverse cast of creatures and monsters you might not normally put in a normal dungeon. Now... Not a lot of orcs, per se, but, you know, strange sure. mutant goblins with, you know, pale skin and strange deformities and all of that, along with the crazed people of the civil lost civilization that has been subsumed by this nefarious near-demon thing called the Zargon. And, of course, it's a little out of the wheelhouse for basic, and, uh, you know, I have my suspicions that there was something going on with that, but... Uh, Nothing too much. Uh, it was kind of a campaign in a box or bottle, ship in a bottle, if you will. You kind of had to, you know, do a lot of work to get there, but you could expand it all the way to high level play. And again, I think it translates both to basic and uh, advanced Dungeons Dragons. Huh. So I really liked that module. It was, uh, it was fun. It was evocative because you didn't want to kill all the people you met, even though some of them that were bizarre and, you know, acted strangely at a table for how they'd react to you. Sometimes they'd just fly away and run. Oh. They act in fear. And other times they become enraged, you know, in their delusional state and attack you. And so you'd have to be forced to kill them. And then you, there were uh, secret societies and they're trying to restore the glory of the old civilization before the coming of the Zaron. Oh, man. So, you know. Trippy. Yeah, so I, I thought it was quite imaginative and a little bold. Um, I, that's where I had a whole cabal of thules, if you can remember those guys. Strange combination between hobgoblins, ghouls, and doppelgangers. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, the that's old thule. Horrific. Thule's Playground. So, yeah, uh, that's that's my number two because it's just kind of weird, it's trippy, and it really breaks the uh, basic mold of D&D. Well, you want to rattle off a tiny handful of runners-up? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, as we're coming down here, we're definitely going to do a part two to this on next week, so stay tuned because this is a big topic. And yeah. as Mike spoke about, we are having a, a time limit, but we're not like... Super adherent to it. Oh, no, we're running over. Oh, yeah. I, I think everybody, who, um, everybody who's listened to this show knows that uh, we, we bend to that rule pretty often. Um, I would say, yeah, we both agree on White Plume Mountain. Yeah, let's, let's give You're that both, a definite You know, the, layer, the map in there just evokes, like, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Set in the Rift Crag of, Rift Canyon, excuse me, of the world of Greyhawk. He was heavily involved with, you know, the dragon Jorgotha, the undead dragon. Jeez. Yeah, what a promised opener, man. You know, he's just that's that's just on the map, and you go in there, and it's literally a zoo dungeon with tricks and traps galore. 
some of the most interesting tricks and traps, many of which have been homaged many times in many ways, uh, now in video games and things like that. Uh, if you've ever played a video game where you've got to jump from swinging platform to swinging platform... While green uh, slime falls from above. Oh, yeah. Yeah, random interspersion of dripping green slime. Um. <laughs> yeah, and mechanically, it's not as much fun as it sounds. I mean, you know, it's okay, make a dexterity check. Okay, you failed. Oh, well, I guess you fell in the pit of lava. Yeah. Got your down. Another Start rolling. Oh, got hit by green slime. Okay. You know, it was a hit or miss thing, but uh, there were three artifacts that you had to recover from the evil wizard Caraptus, who had given a strange challenge to the lords of the surrounding area. Yeah, he held Wave, Whelm, Whelm, and Black Razor. Stormbringer Jr. Yeah, yeah, Stormbringer Light. They they really, uh, they riffed on the Stormbringer mode, but I, I did like that it was a blade. Yeah. It looked like a starry night. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was definitely its own. And anybody from those days who says, oh, you know, they borrowed heavily. No, they didn't. They stole. Oh, yeah, they stole outright. Like proper DMs. Well, yeah, there's like an inverse uh, ziggurat with various levels of sea lions. And we're not talking the type that are at SeaWorld. I mean, like literal sea lions and scorpions and all that. You had to figure your way through these traps and navigate to the ends. And, yeah, it was a little linear, but uh, it was a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, you had a clear goal, uh, if not a clear direction. So, you know, your... Your ultimate goal was pretty simple and straightforward. Get these artifacts one by one by one. When you have all three, escape with your lives. Yeah, and Craptus was never really fleshed out. He was not really encountered at all. At the end, when he recovered him to a Freddy named Bix and Box, you know, I should drive the engine. Okay, it's time to leave. We don't want to leave. We're going to leave or, leave or we're going to break your legs. We've got these artifacts. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, and good luck with that. I mean, the, your, your player character is... If they were very powerful, uh, were supposed to be met with greater resistance yeah. as needed. Uh, but they were to be instructed. Yeah, out. you were basically shoot out of the dungeon, you know, by Kraftus flapping his ropes. Get out, go shoot, 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 Or and, you know that, or he's out for the the weekend, and you know, like he comes up. Oh, look! There's been adventures in my house while I was gone. Ah, they're, oh, they're like raccoons. There's trash everywhere. And we've mentioned this before, another runner-up would be Against the Giants and, uh, of course, Descent into the Earth and into the Vault of the Drow. Yeah, the classic series, The uh, we mentioned the A series, uh, the fourth module in that was the uh, Dungeon of the Slave Lords, but, uh, and you mentioned uh, T1 Village of Hamlet. There was a classic combo yeah. in which T1 led to the Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, so you go through one through four in the Ele- Temple of Elemental Evil. Clues were then there to lead you to some alliance with the Slave Lords, which puts you through modules A1 through A4, which then leads to Against the Giants, G1 through 3, and then... Yeah, the real masters of the Slave Lords were the Drow. Yeah. And they try to assassinate you, and then you get embroiled into a whole series of events of an invasion of giants, which you learn, of course, the Drow are behind. Yeah, and, and then, then you chase them into the depths of the earth to their hated vault and slay them and yeah. their goddess. D yeah. one through three, and then ending in Q uh, with Queen of the Demon Web Pit. Yeah, terrible, terrible foe to face. Oh yeah, she is, and on any plane. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's obviously good. But some other ones that uh, don't get quite the love I think they do is uh, Dwellers of the Forbidden City. 
That is a great one. Uh, kind of above ground dungeon with the Wanti, the serpent folk. Lost Caverns of Sokan. Yes. A personal favorite of my own, and it is a classic zoo dungeon. But Yeah, um, but it's also got a great a wilderness campaign to get there. Yeah, there is a nice overland trek that is very challenging and well stocked with interesting encounters that aren't necessarily all hostile. Yeah, and as the side quest, the uh, uh, Lost Temple of Thrasduin. Yes. The Lost Temple of Therastun. Yes. Uh, sorry. Out of the D&D bracket, one of the favorite campaigns uh, modules I've ever seen, definitely Warhammer Classic. Yeah, uh, but I think we'll... How about we save that one for another you time? You know what? We'll, we'll hit the non-D&D one next week. Yeah, we're going to hit... Uh, but next week we're going to talk about our favorite ultimate campaigns of all time, and uh, we'll give it the proper treatment, because I don't think we can do it in less than five minutes. No, no, I can't actually go into detail on uh, the original Warhammer uh, fantasy campaign as much as I would like to, because yeah. there's there's a lot of meat on the bone there, and it's it's well worth giving them a nod, because it's just a... That initial campaign setting was mm. a masterwork. Yeah, probably the best fantasy role-playing experience that I've had pleasure running and playing. So, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. All right. We'll pick it up where we, where we leave off today. Yep. So, this we'll is a two-parter. And uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to us uh, reminisce. We just uh, touched on the basic uh, notes of this, not really uh, dug at it, as maybe some of these topics uh, deserve. I know people are curious about Castle Amber, and maybe we'll devote an entire podcast to that at some point in time where we just go through and we uh, talk about things in that. But I will... Yeah, we uh, might do a pick-apart-a-module. Yeah, I think that would be a good someday. one to do. You so. know, just crack one open and, like, let's let's micro this. Because you know, we, we lean towards the macro most of the time. Just get a, a topical overview and uh, some, you know, fun conversation on it. But uh, I would love to really do a teardown sometime. Just, like, okay... In minute detail. Uh, that would be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do that. All right. All right. So we're going to bid you adieu. We uh, probably uh, bored you to tears already. So uh, <laughs> hopefully you drag your face off the keyboard or the couch, wherever you're listening to. Or hopefully you haven't uh, dozed off in the car listening to us. Yes. But uh, we're going to bid it out at this. And uh, we're hoping you're going to have a great weekend. Um, we are definitely going to have one, and uh, we'll see you soon on Tuesday. So stay safe out there, everybody. And uh, Yes, congratulations, Joey Richter, once again. We yeah. will track you down, whatever it takes. We're coming for you. That's right. Uh, you're in trouble now. Uh, and uh, we'll be getting all of you. And uh, thanks again to everybody who entered in and uh, for our first giveaway. And we'll be doing other things as we go through. Oh, yeah. As time wears on, we will do other kinds of giveaways here and there. All right. So Enjoy. All right, so have a good night, everybody. Thanks a lot, and once again, may the dice dice always roll in your your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.